Hello and welcome to a new episode of the Own It podcast. I'm Iona Bain, writer, speaker and now author of a new book, Own It, How Our Generation Can Invest Our Way to a Better Future. I'm joined on the podcast by my dad, Simon, and not just because he's my dad, he's also a very experienced business and finance journalist in his own right. So who better to speak to about everything that's going on in the world of money today? And that's why we're sitting down to have hopefully funny, frank and fascinating conversations about finance. And we'll be joined by some brilliant guests along the way. Now, apologies if you're expecting this podcast a little sooner. I do try to publish them every Thursday or Friday. But it's been a really busy period. I obviously had the launch of my book and I hope you tuned into last week's episode where we brought you a recording of the book launch. And I've just finished writing the cover story for this weekend's FT Money section. That's the personal finance pages of the Financial Times. So it's quite a big deal and it was a very big job. And that's all finished now. So you can check out that story all about my book. It'll appear on Saturday, the 3rd of April in the FT. And I've just started writing a national newspaper column. Uh, It's published every Wednesday in the iNewspaper and on inews.co.uk. So I was writing a few columns to get ahead of my Easter break, which I think when it comes will be pretty well deserved. But here we are now, better late than never. On today's podcast, I want to shine a spotlight on the millennial investing boom. It's something that's been discussed a lot in the media lately, but I really wanted to delve into what the millennial investing boom is, what's motivating it, what the opportunities, but also what the dangers are. And this is on the back of some very interesting research that was published last week by the Financial Conduct Authority, which is Britain's financial watchdog. They teamed up with research group Britain thinks to find out why so many young people are going online for the first time and opening investment accounts and why a lot of young people are putting their hard-earned cash directly into trendy shares like Tesla, cryptocurrencies, foreign exchange, contracts for difference and other very risky assets. And this research uncovered what you could describe as a heady brew of emotional and social motives, which included a lust for novelty, challenge and thrills, a chance to play in the big leagues, to use their words, and perhaps turn investing into a hobby or maybe even a new social status. Hmm, I can't think why young people would want any of those things after the past year. Um, But anyway, it's clear that those kinds of intense desires go way beyond all the sensible factors we're routinely told should be the only ones to consider when we start investing, such as the need to plan for long-term concrete goals. Um, And it's clear that certain free and easy trading apps are tapping into the psychology of our generation much more effectively than the old guard. So I want to find out what is making young investors tick today and should we be worried? Well, someone who knows a thing or two about this subject is Myron Jobson. He's personal finance campaigner at Interactive Investor, which is one of the UK's largest platforms and has seen a big uptick in new customers this year. So on this episode, I'm talking to Myron about what young investors need to bear in mind as they navigate the modern maze that is investing. And then I go on to talk to my dad about financial education. When should we start learning about money and should investing be part of that conversation? Before that, here's my chat with Myron. 
tell me um, how you came to be personal finance campaigner at II and what your job involves. Oh, you know what? It was a, a great stroke of luck on my end because um, I had recently had a daughter um, at the period, I think it was 2019, 2020. Um, mm. And I was a journalist beforehand. I used to work for This Is Money, the online money pages, which was great. I was there for a good two and a half years. Mm. Um, and kids are expensive. And <laughs> kids are really, really expensive. Um, and as much as I love my role, I realised that I don't think I will get the, the money I want, basically, in <laughs> financial journalism. Yeah. But I really want to do something that allowed me to continue what I did in my role. Because, mm. you know, as a personal finance writer, I was able to really speak to people and help them with their real life financial issues. And I wanted a role that allowed me to do um, something similar, but, you know, yeah. with the, the, the money I need, I suppose, to raise my, my child. And Fortunately, this role at Interactive Investor came up and I mm. seized it with both hands and I haven't looked back since. Mm, absolutely. Well, I, I admire your honesty as well about how tough it is to make it in financial journalism as well in terms of, you know, it's a tough job. It's not something that, that necessarily pays all that well and you work very long hours and you don't always get the kind of credit that you deserve. But actually, financial journalists do a stellar job of, of really holding firms to account and informing the public about their finances too so it's a it's a very underrated profession wouldn't you say? oh I, I agree massively I agree but it's great that you are continuing that campaigning spirit within II and you have been very vocal about lots of issues that are close to my heart as well which we'll definitely get onto. but I want to ask has II seen a big uptick in new young investors and if so what do you think the reasons are for that? Yeah, we have seen an um, increase in the number of young customers coming onto our platform and using our platform. So like in Q4 last year alone, 25% of new customers were actually young customers. And I think the reason is, you know, during lockdown, you've heard this term accidental savers, you know, used a lot, you know, by people like myself in the media. And, and that's what happened. Um, a lot of people have found themselves being able to save a lot of money from you know not having to travel into work or go to Tesco and buy those meal deals every day yeah. um, you know, working from home and so they've been able to save that money but what they've realized is savings rates are just terrible at the moment they're, they're not great you don't really get much bang for your buck by putting your money in savings and those who can afford to lock away the money for longer terms have realized that you know investments really does help you get more bang for your buck I suppose mm. um, and I think a lot of people heard about investments a lot of young pe in, um, people know about investments have heard about investments and thought oh actually this is something I probably should think about but over the past year they they've had time actually you know with social life just falling off the yeah. cliff isn't it um they've had that time to actually think about it and do their own research and actually yeah dip a toe into the world of investments yeah so it's it's quite an exciting place to be at the moment because there's been this flowering of interest in investing and that brings opportunities and risks but I'm curious to know what do young investors on II tend to gravitate towards what are they buying and holding in their portfolios you know it's not too dissimilar to the the customer base in general so mm. you have customers like Vanguard Life Strategy um, they're the suites of funds that they've they've they are really popular with our customers and they're also popular with our younger customers too Scottish Mortgage for example that's on mm. our top 10 
best-selling funds of 2020 and you know it remains a bestseller this year and one interesting um difference with our young customers compared to our broader customer base is they tend to have more um, U.S. equities you know, in their portfolios um, than you know, our broader customer base. So, you know, Apple, for example, they, they tend to hold, you know, more tech-based um, holdings. So, yeah, that's a, that's a differentiator. That's interesting. So you think perhaps that the younger generations are a bit more globally minded in how they invest compared to, say, older investors who certainly here in the UK, tend to be very focused on the British stock market and the opportunities there. Yeah, I know that's what our, um, our customer data shows, really. Um, there's greater US-UK um, bias among the older generation than there are, than is for the younger generation. Mm. So do you think that this idea of the young, reckless day trader is maybe a bit exaggerated? And perhaps it's something that we see much more in the US or do you think there is still a risk that younger investors in the UK are not being patient or long-term enough? I think that's so interesting. Well, you know, if we take the recent GameStop saga, I suppose mm. that was generated in the US. It's a US stock. It was generated in the US, you know, by, I suppose, mainly US-based Reddit traders. Um, and so, yes, I, I suppose in that sense, I think maybe it's more prevalent in the US. But it's not to say that this doesn't happen in the UK, uh, I mean, among like you know the, maybe the youngest investors, there's that they might be influenced by social media. There's quite a lot of accounts on Instagram and not you know TikTok, you know, purporting to offer financial advice. And I put that in inverted comma because mm. you know it really is, and it's quite worrying. It's quite worrying the things you see on social media that's purported to be financial advice because you know a lot of them just tends to be misleading and. Mm. It's dangerous, you know, if you're young and if you're impressionable, if you're, you, if you're, if that's the kind of guidance you're absorbing, it, it doesn't really bode well for your investment journey. So let's get into this then. You know, what role is social media and high profile influences and business figures like Elon Musk, say, playing it in, mm. in all this? Um, and is there a danger that investment influences are? you know, moving beyond the powers of regulation and that they are potentially setting up their own parallel, very volatile markets. And a lot of them are doing it without having any qualifications. Um, and I mean, some people might say, well, that's good. That makes stock market investing more egalitarian. You know, why do you need a qualification to talk about investing? I'm not a qualified financial advisor, but I talk about investing. But what are the dangers here? You know, where do you see the greatest risks emerging? Influencers play a huge role. I mean, the term influencers says it all. These are individuals that influence public perception. So they have a responsibility, whether they like it or not, not to mislead their followers. Um, I suppose with certified financial advisors, they could be held into accounts by um, putting out misleading claims on their social media accounts. But I suppose nothing really is stopping influencers from and strangers from issuing bad advice mm. um and so a lot needs to be done you know and you know what i say to people is take everything you you read everything you see everything you read on social media with a pinch of salt you know i think that's a a great strategy to to follow and it's important to remember that investing is a one man or one woman's journey yeah. you know so a lot of people can say oh yeah this worked for me this worked for for me but this is all about your personal circumstances. You know, you might not have the capital to make a certain investment. You not might not have the risk appetite 
to make a, a certain type of investment or the time horizon, you know, we always say that you should only look into investing if you have at least five years um, to, you know, lock away your money just to give that time for your investments to to grow, to, you know, smooth out the, the highs and lows of the markets. And so you should really look internally and then you should then consider the investment opportunities that are available for you. But, yeah, the, the likes of e- Elon Musk and other influencers, they, they have a huge, huge responsibility. And sometimes I think it's just it's missed out, something that they don't necessarily consider um, when they send out tweets that results in stocks or you know, cryptocurrency soaring. Mm-hmm. Um, but the average retail investor might not appreciate the, the risk involved with such investments. I really like your message about being focused on your own goals and your own journey. It's really hard, though, to screen out that noise around you mm. and, and to resist the lure of these seemingly one-way stocks. And that whole get-rich-quick notion is, is, is very attractive for younger people, especially when they feel that they have not been rewarded by their savings, that they have not had the opportunities that they should have had within the mainstream financial system. You know, can you relate to why younger people gravitate towards these stocks and these investment opportunities? I think it's quite, that's quite an interesting question. Whether I can relate, probably not, you know, because I suppose I, you know, I was a financial journalist for a good six, seven years before, you know, becoming a, a personal finance campaigner at Interact Investor. And I have just seen the effects of, of, bad influences on individuals and so I'm always wary about things purporting to be financial advice financial guidance but it's it's hard because I suppose when you see it on social media when you see people living their best life as as people like to say on Mm. social media and they say oh yeah they're able to do this because they they invested in forex or they they got involved in spread betting um it's very hard for young people to to ignore that you know they they think oh wow is this how you can do it oh it sounds very easy perhaps let me try and emulate your success but it it seldom works out you know these get rich quick schemes Mm. seldom works out I mean if they did everyone will be millionaires and so it's easy I can appreciate the law of such schemes but you you have to be skeptical and you're right when you are a journalist and when you're writing and talking about these things day in day out for a long time then you develop that healthy skepticism um, that's necessary to manage your finances well and it's just so sad that lots of younger people don't have that skepticism and and they may believe what they see online so it really begs the question why are young people for the most part so badly educated and informed about stock markets and investing and what would you like to see done about that what needs to be done to change that situation uh, I own it. it all comes down to financial education doesn't it totally. I mean it, it's something that's just maybe not taken seriously I, I know it's part of the curriculum and it was it has been part of the national curriculum for secondary school since I think 2015 but mm. it often jostles for space with other subjects um, and you know a lot of teachers might not necessarily have the support to to do these um, lessons to, to teach their pupils about financial education but it's just so important mm-hmm. and the thing is for many young people not just young people but just for many people the lessons about money um it comes from being burnt you know from yeah. a bad um, experience you know be it spending too much on your credit card not being able to afford the monthly repayments and getting yourself into ridiculous debt or, you know or um 
being falling victim to scams because you know you haven't been able to identify the telltale signs of a financial scam so it really is important that we get people financially educated and I think we all have responsibility in the media you know the industry to to help people really understand their finances Mm. Um, but when it comes to classrooms one thing I do want to see is financial education being like mandatory you know to make sure that not just secondary schools but also primary school um, children are learning about financial education and it doesn't it really doesn't take much at all I mean I have a three-year-old kid and I'm teaching her about money I'm she she can recognize you know penny she can recognize different coins and she's three years old and and I think you know obviously there's a big difference between recognizing coins and understanding what a derivative is a mortgage is but you know space the message is start them young pocket money you can teach kids about the value of money by giving them pocket money for or you know giving them money for tasks chores that they complete around the house so I think it really really is important yeah, I'm so glad to hear that you're you're teaching your daughter already because <laughs> I do think that even at three she's probably picking up a lot more than than we think. And it's it's commonly said that you develop your attitude to money by the age of eight. And maybe some parents don't believe that those kinds of attitudes can be formed so early on. But yeah. it's true. And therefore, if you're not talking to your children about money and then hopefully setting a good example for your children, um, then you're passing on possibly some quite dysfunctional attitudes and behavior. And, and then that's how the, the cycle continues, really. Yeah. But you know what? Having said that, Iona, um, I think it's things that are getting better. So at Interactive Investor, we host this initiative called the Personal Finance Each of Year Awards. Yes, um, I've seen it. I'm, I'm, I'm hugely, um, I'm hugely admiring of that initiative because I think it really calls out people who are actually making a difference in the classroom, who are devoted to the subject because that's what's needed a lot of the time yeah. to, to make financial education happen. Exactly, and especially at a time such as this during the coronavirus pandemic. And you know, luckily, we last year we had quite a few entries, and they just show how people are being innovative. You know, even though. Mm-hmm lockdown is is happening people are still some teachers still doing their hardest to teach their kids about financial education which is really yeah it makes me feel great it really does it makes me feel optimistic so let's um talk about some of the assets that young people need to be wary of talk to me about dogecoin if, if I've pronounced that correctly, you know, what uh, the hell is it? <laughs> oh my gosh, Dogecoin. You know, I didn't know much about it until probably early last year. So apparently Dogecoin is a cryptocurrency and it's based on an internet dog meme. Um, I, I can't describe it. it <laughs> I can't describe it. I wish I could show you. I wish I had the pictures to show. But yeah, it started in 2003 and apparently it was created as an alternative to Bitcoin. Um mm. And it's just a parody. Apparently, it's actually a parody to of the online cult uh, around cryptocurrency. So it, it sounds like it was created as a joke, but it almost seems like it's gotten out of hand. Yeah, you know, people are tweeting about it, and the, its value is. Have you seen that the graph is a uh, price graph is absolutely volatile? Oh, and I've seen so countless stories online of people being getting burnt by investing, or I, I won't call it investing, gambling mm-hmm. um, in, in such, you know assets yeah it's it's terrible if you can even use that word i mean it's getting on for the same kind of craze as beanie babies and tulips there really (laughs) i mean it's got absolutely no intrinsic value i mean it's definitely different and separate from bitcoin and we you know you can discuss whether or not bitcoin 
has got this inherent value and, and whether or not it will genuinely become a valuable and more stable asset in due course. But I mean, something like Dogecoin, it's a joke, it's a meme, and yet people are investing in it. So is this a sign that markets have really lost the plot in a way and that people are putting their money into some really crazy stuff? And is this not what happens before we have a big crash? It certainly trivializes the investment process and it's, it's a worrying president almost it is quite worrying because people i think these things young investors are get interested in these things because they they haven't necessarily they're not as seasoned you know they mm. haven't necessarily had that exposure to investments and you know if they get burnt if and when it it almost seems they get burnt with these types of investments it sours their whole perception of investing and that's not we don't want that you know that's mm. we really don't want that so we it's so people have to be careful of what they look at, what they consume. Again, I'll go back to the guidance they consume on social media. Just take every grain of guidance you see with a pinch of salt um, because it's not necessarily best for your own personal circumstances. But yeah, something needs to be done, it seems. Mm-hmm. And and also diversify and, and think about the long term. And, and that way you are going to oh, naturally move away from those assets that, that just seem to be on fire at the moment but could fizzle out very shortly. Um, and that way you're going to hopefully achieve your goals in the long run, as opposed to, as you say, gambling. And, and this is it now. It's, it's hard to tell the difference between investing and gambling in some parts of the market. Uh, yeah, you know, yeah. And you, it's like cryptocurrencies, Dogecoin, where it's its intrinsic value. It's different with shares because you can have a look at the, the company's balance sheet. You can have a look at the assets, the property, they, they, they hold all sorts but where is the value in in Dogecoin? You know, it's it's very difficult to to source the value. A lot of it is perception. A lot of it is this kind of fanfare, you know, that that gets created around these cryptocurrencies. But it's just difficult to extract where the value comes from. Other things that I'm concerned about are forex and spread betting, which we're seeing promoted so yeah. much on social media. Why do younger investors need to be careful about those things? Oh, it's just like, you know, spread betting simply, it's simply speculating on whether um, the asset price will rise or fall. Um, and they use the prices offered by brokers. You know, you don't buy or sell, so you don't own the underlying assets, um, but you make a profit based on whether your call is right. So whether the market moves in what you say it will move. Um, it, it's it's dangerous because who knows? This is just like almost pointing at your crystal ball and making a guesstimation that way no one knows even the most seasoned city um, banker doesn't know how or you know fund manager doesn't know what the market is going to do you know and the issue is a lot of again this is something that's promoted widely on social media and a lot of tutorials of how to become a successful um spread better um but more often than not, I think the FCA um, a couple of years ago released a figure. I think around over 80% of people who are involved in such trades lose money, you know. <laughs> and people really need to remember that. they It's it's a very, very high risk. It's mm-hmm. very high risk. And if you're starting out, please just walk before you run. This, mm-hmm. These investments are too high risk. You know, it's what you said earlier. Diversify. If you're if you don't know what fund to invest in, if you don't, you know, if you consider a multi-asset fund, which does a diversification for you. When I say diversification, invest in different assets and also different regions so that you're not overly exposed to one asset or one region. You might say that 
technology has opened up investing for younger people and it has made it possible for you to invest in individual shares and in funds but that potentially it's made it all a little bit too easy as well and that it's you know far cry from the days when you'd have to pick up the phone to your broker and place the order and maybe that process put a little bit of friction in your investment decisions whereas now you just tap your phone a few times and away you go yeah people have to be aware of their decisions i suppose is there's no there's almost no delay you know especially if you invest in stocks you know once you want to invest in stocks you know you can tap a button and you know, that's added to your portfolio but you, know, you really have to do your homework here you really have to consider your own personal circumstances before you hit the execute button because you know, if you get it wrong it can have a, a telling impact on your financial position so um we've talked a lot about this whole landscape but we could talk all day about it um it's it's fascinating yeah but i would really like to have maybe a few tips from you on how investors can be smart and do the right thing we've already talked about some really good principles um, like diversification and thinking about the long term and doing your research but have you got any other suggestions for how young investors can kind of resist the siren calls of beam stocks and dogecoin and all the things out there that, that look very attractive right now yeah most certainly you know it's what i said earlier run your own race um that's what you have to do. It's all about your own personal circumstances. I suppose the first question you should ask yourself is why you want to invest. It's really easy to get caught up in the excitement of making a decent amount of money through like one of these get rich quick schemes. But more often than not, it, it, it results in you losing money. So it's just really important to take a step back and remind yourself you know, why you're investing. Because your goal shouldn't be about beating an investor you know, purporting to have maybe treble their money in a day by, you know, investing a certain scheme on the social forum. You know, it should be about strengthening your own personal financial position. And, you know, this involves investing in a way that suits your individual needs. Diversification, something we spoke about quite a few times in the conversation. And also you have to remember about your investment costs, minimizing your investment costs. Um, but I, I appreciate, you know, investments can be quite complex. And when I was a journalist, I've had so many people ask me the same question. Oh, what's, how do I get started? How, what's the best way to get started? There's so many stocks, there's so many funds, investment trusts, investments. How do I get started? So it is easy to get overwhelmed by the sheer wealth of options available. But it's what I said to you earlier, consider, just do a walk before you run approach, you know, mm. you know, looking at funds and investment trusts rather than maybe cherry picking all the different equities and all the different options out there um like you know bitcoin anyway we won't go into that yeah but yeah. um you know before i go off on another tangent but yes yeah. as i say a good walk before you run the project is great um multi-asset funds do a lot for you so mm-hmm. for those who really want to get started maybe start simple and then as you get better versed in the world of investors then you can then start making um other bets you know that might be more exciting but just start simple and to keep with your sort of athletics analogy, it's it's a marathon, not a sprint. This has been so interesting. Um, I hope that perhaps we can talk again sometime soon. Thank you so much for coming on the Own It podcast. Oh, thanks for having me. Does this show that we need to have financial education about pensions, about investing, big money subjects? Because as things stand, yes, financial education is on the curriculum, but the issue is that it's not really compulsory as in it's not up there with maths and english and 
a foreign language. Yeah. It's part of PSHE, mm-hmm. Personal Social and Health Education, right. which covers an extremely wide gamut mm. of stuff. I think it's fair to say that in many schools, it's it's very much a case of it's a Wednesday at the end of term, <laughs> the teacher pops on a film about money or they get someone in from the local bank to give a talk about money. Mm. And it's not really that much more advanced or sophisticated than that, unless you've got a teacher really championing that subject, you know, talking about it on a regular basis with their pupils. And if and if you have a teacher like that, then they are amazing. I mean, I suppose, you know, I don't know what expectations people have about the school curriculum these days. And, and uh, you know, f- people like me, we don't really know what's in that curriculum and what what's being taught. <laughs> Is it unreasonable to expect that real life, you know, features in the curriculum? Perhaps it features too much, you know, in terms of traditionalist view of what should be taught. But But it seems we haven't really moved on you know, from having this tokenistic sort of, you know, slot, which doesn't really relate to anything that the young people are experiencing. Whereas what they are experiencing is influencers on social media who suddenly got onto the whole money agenda. Uh, Yeah, totally. So I think that if schools don't get into this area, then we can be sure that others on the internet will get into this area. They'll be giving your kids Mm. the financial education Mm. that they're missing out on. And that might not be the most balanced or wise financial education, which shall is, we say? Absolutely. Well, which is why, you know, there's a lot of talk about how financial institutions have got to get into the, the present century mm. and start communicating via these media. If we think about it, this is the only way young people are going to consume that information. Then they've got to be out there. Yeah. And they've got to be doing it with the sort of imaginative, you know, platforms and vehicles that young people are actually going to notice. Absolutely, but I've been talking about this for years. I've been saying this to the financial industry for Mm. so long. I'm sick and tired of saying it, to be honest, because at some point we've got to convert the words into action Mm. and we have to start seeing a much more concerted effort, not just from the big financial institutions, but from financial advisors as well. You've got great people like Martin Bamford, who are really active on social media, you know, busting a lot of myths around day trading and get rich quick schemes. But there isn't enough of it out Mm. there. And financial advisors, I feel, are just sort of hoping really that all these young people will one day get off the internet grow out of it grow out of it Mm. and fall into their laps Mm. and then at that point that's that's great for their business but actually i just think that's that's massive complacency and it's just taking a huge risk apart from anything as well as potentially abandoning an awful lot of young people to the wild west of the investing internet and letting them get their information from these sources and as we've said it's potentially a recipe for disaster and disaster isn't too strong a word because i mean it's quite dangerous when these that influence is is related to scams and frauds which we've seen you know horrendously often totally i mean when you hear only recently that somebody lost a six-figure sum to a bitcoin scam because Mm. a fraudster had cloned elon musk's Mm. twitter account Mm. you've got to ask not only how sophisticated are fraudsters mm. now, but also how responsible are the likes of Elon Musk mm. for really playing into this incredibly frenzied cult-like atmosphere sure. that then sows the seeds for these kinds of scams to succeed? Because, you know, it's the sort of thing that you kind of think Elon Musk could do. That's why it's credible, because he's so batshit crazy, if I'm completely honest. <laughs> so I think that's a wider conversation that we need to have. You know, how do we get back to a kind of smart, sane investing culture so that young people can kind of understand what the 
you know, rules of engagement are and right. they, they can identify so much more easily when something is a scam, when something is ridiculous. Meanwhile, you never know where the next scam is going to come from or what it will look like by definition. You yeah. know, that these guys are staying one step ahead. Yeah, yeah. So you've got to stay one step ahead. And as things stand, you've got to educate yourself. That's it for this week's episode. Thanks to Myron Jobson for joining us and, of course, to Simon as well. If you've got any feedback or suggestions for the podcast, then you can email readers at youngmoneyblog.co.uk or you can tweet me at Iona Young Money. And you can find out so much more about investing by reading my new book, Own It, How Our Generation Can Invest Our Way to a Better Future. It's out now on Amazon, Waterstones and through my publisher, Harriman House. And thank you for listening. We'll be taking a wee break over Easter, but I hope you'll join us the following week for the next episode of the Own It podcast. Thank you.